0: It's August 16th, 2021. This is Rook. Well, hi there. Welcome to episode 136 of Rook. Hope you are keeping well wherever you are tuning in from around the world. Durud, Salam, Aziz, Umibah, khub va Bashin. Hello to you from Toronto, Canada. Welcome to one of our special themed episodes of Rook this month. Hi, Groovy Shaya. Hi, Azizam. Hi, Azizam. We've, we've had... Um, did the champions and then the broadcasters and today we are focusing on the screen gems three remarkable humans of Iranian descent all of the women who have made and are making a significant contribution in the realm of acting, film, and television. So first up, the American Assassin star Shiva Negar in Los Angeles, then the Bollywood star and model Mondona Karimi in Mumbai, and then the NCIS and Homeland television star Nekar Zadegan joining us from Santa Fe. That's all coming up, and we are coming to you on RookMedia.com. It is there that you can link to all of our platforms and where you can become a patron of this program, please do. Uh, We're on our ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity coming to you on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and CastBox. If you'd like to see some visuals with Rook and see us on social media, switch over to YouTube or Instagram. And if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in English and in Persian, you can check us out on telegram all of those handles are at rook media all right let's get to our three guests this is as i say a special themed episode of rook i'm gian gomeshi here we go this is the screen gems it our first guest today has not only lived the quote-unquote life of an Iranian but has also played the role a few times as an actor. Quite recently, you've likely seen her on your screens in the blockbuster movie American Assassin as Anika, an Iranian-Turkish double agent, not to mention her recurring lead role in the American network TV series SEAL Team. Shiva Negar is an Iranian-Canadian actress and model, born in Iran, raised in Turkey and then Canada, and now Los Angeles. Shiva started her career as a child performer and After overcoming myriad challenges, paved her way into the acting industry of North America. Some of Shiva's significant credits include the action thriller American Assassin, as well as the feature film Becoming Burlesque, in which she starred. And television shows such as My Babysitter's a Vampire and The Art of More and Hudson and Rex. Shiva Nagar joins me from Los Angeles, California. Hi, Shiva.
1: Hi. 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 Thanks for having me.
0: This is fun. It's great to have you on the program. Thanks for doing yes,
1: this. Yes, of
0: course. You know, I've known you for quite a while. I, I know you've mm-hmm. you've worked really hard for this. Do you still have moments where you think, wow, I'm in L.A., I've been in a blockbuster film, I'm really doing this? <laughs>
1: um, to be honest, sometimes you forget. And that's saying I'm grateful for this time because it is a slow time where you can self-reflect and sort of, you know, look back and... Be more present and see what you've done, where you've come from, where you're going, why you're doing what you're doing, basically, and your purpose and everything. So, uh, yeah, I definitely have moments where I think back and sometimes, I mean, I have, I have uh, this diary that I, I've started to read um, uh, from my childhood. I kept it somehow with me this whole time. And, and uh, I haven't been able to uh, read the entire thing yet, but it is actually the, uh, the symbol of what I'm writing. But my point is, yeah, I look back and I'm like, wow, I come from such different worlds, you know, and migrating from the Middle East, you know, Iran to Turkey, and then Canada and U.S. And it's been quite a journey. And, and, uh, and I'm really grateful for everything. And, and it, it is nice to look back and see how far you've come.
0: Shiva, take us back. So you, you left Iran when you were very young. You were around seven years old. Um, mm-hmm. what, what, what do you remember from that time? What were you writing in that diary uh, in those early years?
1: I had this diary that's called Daftar khatirat in Farsi. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so glad that I have it because um, it literally, like when you open it, it literally has my full name and it says Shiva of and hmm. and it says "Grade One in Farsi. And the diary starts in Farsi. I mean, I'm, I'm actually amazed of how well I was writing in Farsi. I don't think I can write that well right now. Uh, it starts out Farsi, and then near the middle of it, it starts changing to Turkish, because we migrated to Turkey, and we were in Istanbul for about four and a half years. Mm. And, um, and then near the end of the diary, changes to English, and that's when we migrated to Canada. Um,
0: That's so interesting. It's and, a tapestry of your yeah. journey. W- w- why? Why did you end up in Istanbul? Did you want to go to Turkey? Was it was that your mom's first destination where you guys wanted to go?
1: It was a part of. I mean, no, it wasn't. We weren't uh, planning to live in Turkey. It was a trend that it was supposed to be short term, and that it didn't end up being short term, and it ended up being. Four years, and when you speak to a lot of immigrants, uh, Iranian immigrants, and we all have these fascinating stories, and obviously nothing turns out the way you plan on or on your timeline per se. So that was not the final destination for sure, and, and we were not supposed to be there for that long. And uh, the final destination was supposed to be North America.
0: What was it like to be a Persian girl, uh, a little kid, transplanted to Turkey? How did that go for you?
1: Um. To be honest, Jian I feel like all my life, because we moved a lot, I feel like I was always trying to fit in and be socially accepted in wherever I was. And I never felt like I belonged because uh, my environment kept changing. I was seven. And from what I remember in Iran, just when I was trying to, you know, have friends and, and sort of. In, in some kind of a social world at that age, we left. And then we sort of started from scratch again in a, a foreign country where you don't know the language. So for me at that age, again, I was trying to sort of get used to my new environment. And because we did end up staying there for four years, I started getting used to it. I speak Turkish now. Um, I'm almost fluent. I don't have much practice anymore. But um, I was speaking like the, the native language, the um with the Turkish citizens there and I started uh, finding uh, my social circle there and I had friends and I was adjusting basically. Mm -hmm. And then again, four years later, we left. So I had to go through that whole experience all over again in Toronto during my adolescence and that was very difficult. It was very difficult because, I mean, it's a different world. Canada, North America is a very different world than that part of the world. And um, for me to adjust going to school and in high school. And again, I was trying to be socially accepted and trying to make friends with people that were born and raised in Toronto. And, and it wasn't easy. So for me, certain accomplishments um, that could be just normal to some other people, like graduating from high school or entering university and getting my degree, that was, in Canada, that was such a big deal for me when I accomplished it because I'm like, oh my God, you know, I was, I'm, this is it. I'm a part of this world now and I, and I feel like I fit in. So it was, it was, it was quite difficult to uh, constantly try to transition. But one thing I did also learn from all these experiences is also to embrace who you are and not try to fit in all the time as well. So.
0: You, you, your mother is so fabulous I, I I've met her obviously and she's she's lovely and and uh, she's yeah and and you have always seemed very confident and popular uh, so <laughs> is, is there a disconnect between the way you were perceived and uh, the person you felt you were
1: yes there was a huge disconnect and that's also partially me trying to always be I mean I am I love people and I'm I consider myself very social and uh, growing up, especially in Toronto, I was always trying to be that, you know, happy girl. And, and I was trying to go with what was expected of me, like the, the norm and that sort of like traditional pathway and, you know, go to school, get a full-time job and um, get married, you know, have kids and, and go with what your family basically wants you to do. And, and I was in that path and I, Wasn't internally. I just wasn't happy. I really wanted to do something different. And no matter how much I was um, It was it took me a long time to try to find my way and uh, find my calling because I didn't really have guidance and everyone that I was growing up around me uh, in Toronto uh, my friends and family not nobody was in the field that I'm in now and in the industry that I'm in now and uh, so it took a long time for me to find myself and my
0: Purpose. you did a degree in psychology at York uh, York University yeah. in Toronto uh, you started working with a developer you were working in business where obviously there were times when you expected that was going to be your life what mm-hmm. was the precipitant for you to find the courage or take the step to say no I'm gonna I'm gonna give this the arts a, a shot
1: I was always doing theater I mean I started with music even from the days I was in Turkey so I was always doing theater and art on the side. So when I was in high school, I was constantly in the the drama program. And then when I uh, entered university, obviously I had to support myself as well. So I I always had to have a full-time job. So um, I grew up with a single mom for the longest time because there was a big gap where I didn't grow up with my dad. And um, so I always had to make sure that I have a job on the side. And I even though I knew what I wanted to do, I couldn't fully do it because I had to go through basically do what you have to do so you can do what you want to do. Um, so I was always keeping it on the side. And when I entered university, I did get an agent. And, uh, you know, I, I was going on auditions, I was in school, and I was taking every bit of dollar that I was making and I was spending it on film school and acting workshops and uh, seminars. And obviously, people don't take you seriously at the same time. And, and, and my mom of course wanted what's best for me, but she was like, you know, this is great that you love doing that. And, um, she loves music herself. She has an, or she has an art background and, and she's like, this is great. You know, when you get a job, this is such a good thing to do as a hobby. (laughs) So, um, everyone was under the impression that this was going to be a hobby. But I always knew, and I and I think I even mentioned it to you before, you know, since I've known you for so long. It's something that I always knew I wanted to do. I just didn't know how to go about it. Yeah.
0: In that middle period where you were... Uh, you know, you're doing the the psychology degree, or you're or you're working in jobs, and and you're you haven't quite taken the one hundred percent step to pursue acting. Was some of your own trepidation? Uh, did some of that come around being not having a, a say a Canadian or an American lineage? Uh, you know, I remember the first time we met, <laughs> you were you were this was like I don't know, fifteen years ago, a long time ago. You were interviewing me. <laughs> at a Noruz event. We were both at this Noruz event. And you were working for like this Iranian TV station or something, you know? And so I I always thought of you as very Iranian, you know, because that was my first time I'd seen you. You were like this Iruni girl, you know, uh, speaking Farsi, interviewing me at a Noruz (laughs) event. Um, So... uh, With
1: very broken Farsi.
0: (laughs) So did did you think I'm Iranian? I'm a Middle Eastern person. Uh, uh, How am I ever going to you know, be Jodie Foster or Charlize Theron?
1: Oh yeah, completely. I mean, what I wanted to pursue felt so out of reach. And it's not something that was overnight. I mean, it's been something that I've been uh, dreaming of and having these goals for years and years, even when, even since I was in Turkey, you know, and, 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 and all these years that I was in Canada um, and, and, it really felt out of reach, especially because um, I didn't feel... Yes, I wasn't born and raised in North America. I'm ethnic. And um, and yeah, I was doing... I actually became even more involved. There's a, there a big Persian community, obviously, in Toronto. And my farsi got better, actually, when we moved to Toronto <laughs> than when we were in Turkey because of this huge... Uh, Iranian population in Toronto, and I, I had I made a lot of Persian friends, and you know one thing led to another, and I did some exactly the the interviews, and I did some uh, show that was on satellite, and um and I did a film with uh, with Andy, which was my very first feature film called Lost Journey, right. starting Reza Sholez uh, as well. But uh, yeah, I uh, I had to fight against that a lot, especially because. The world was very different when I was starting, and um, right now there's more involvement of ethnic or ethnically ambiguous actors and performers, and I think Hollywood has become a lot more uh, welcoming.
0: I was going to ask you whether whether you feel now the mm-hmm. Middle Eastern background is... Is uh, there's a bit of a? I feel like it's a myth that you know that's propagated upon immigrant people now. Like, oh, you have it easy because you're ethnic because everybody wants ethnic casting (laughs) now. Do you do you feel like it's actually helpful now, or is it just not as problematic to be Middle Eastern background?
1: No, I don't think it's helpful. I I I do think that the industry still has a long way to go. I really do Um, because even though I really love the fact that some projects, especially films, Take more chances to uh, showcase diversity, um, there's still a lot of TV that it's still, you know, playing it safe and um, sort of not uh, going to the gray area and just sticking with what's safe so I do think they've got a long way to go but yeah at least now it's normal <laughs> hmm. you know it's, it's very normal and, and there's definitely a lot more opportunities there's a lot more like when you look at breakdowns uh, when you get scripts and, and things and there are a lot more uh, role break, character break, breakdowns that are not just plain American or plain Canadian and, and they are looking for that diversity and, and, and the ethnicity so it's, it's uh, at least that's a great thing
0: Yes. Let me ask you about American Assassin. This is a, a among the, the, the work you've done. This is a this is a big film, a big a box office film. Uh, Michael Keaton. You know, it's got it's got a a, a big cast. Mm-hmm. How does Shiva and you, and and by the way, you're not you don't have some sort of side role in this. You're a major character in this film. How did you get this from Yeah. You?
1: I was sent uh, the script through my manager here, so I uh, read the script. I reached out to my manager right away and I'm like, I have to take for this. The casting director was in London and the director lived in New York and I was in Los Angeles at the time. Uh, And and I had actually just, it was only a year into me moving to Los Angeles. And um, so I I reached out to my manager and I'm like, this is, I have to do this. This is me. I have to take for this and I have to you know, show that this character exists in real life because obviously he's a fictional character um, and uh, I, I tested for it I put myself on tape I sent in the audition then I basically got a call back where the director wanted to meet me so I skyped with the director and we spoke a lot about the character and the storyline and, and then I met with the producers and the, the executive team at the CBS films and it just one thing led to another and and they uh, they offered me the role, and it was one of the most amazing experiences I've had um, to this day in my career
0: it is it is almost like it was written for you you're you're it's an Iranian Turkish character although yeah I don't know if you're a spy if you've grown up a spy but but you got the Iranian Turkish part you play this this spy yeah. who's but this is also arguably Shiva a very it's a very American blockbuster movie you you've you've developed this fan base now in Iran what was the reaction of the Iranian community to this role
1: yeah it's definitely a blockbuster American movie and and to be honest, um, we had to speak about some parts. I mean, we luckily I had room to work on some of the uh, dialect and some of the uh, some parts of the script because even though it's not based on any facts and it's just fictional, it's based on a series of novels actually. Um, but it does touch up on some political or social issues that could be relatable in a way, and I wanted to make sure that. Um, this doesn't bother anybody in any way because at the end of the day, it's just uh, an action thriller movie. But, and I want to say, once the film reached internationally to all the other countries in Iran, I want to say 90% was uh, a... very well taken, but then, um, there were, there was a 10% that I guess misinterpreted and I, I did get some hate mail. I'm not going to lie. And, um, I actually received some messages saying, Oh, you're a traitor and you're betraying your country. And, um, so I, I did have some negative, but I mean, that's a given as an artist, you can't please everyone and everyone misinterprets or interprets things differently. And, um, so I had my share of a little bit of a hate, uh, and how did but, that feel um, how
0: did you deal with that
1: um you're as an artist you're putting yourself out there in everything and and this is not the only project that this happened now obviously this was a little uh related to Iran because there is a, a, a part of the plot you know there are some iranian actors including right. me and, right. and, and Navi naythlan so but even with Becoming Burlesque and other films, you know, there are, you're putting yourself out there and you sure. sh- have to be able to take constructive criticism. And I really like to believe that I've become resilient enough when it comes to that, because it really is field of rejection and vulnerability when you're an artist um, and you're opening yourself up to the world side. Well, with, with
0: that said, you know, and everybody needs to to eat and and, and do, do gigs. Uh, uh, do you worry about roles that can underscore stereotypes or negative images of Iranians? This is something that Maz has talked about as well. So if your manager called you tomorrow and said, listen, I've got a massive gig for you, a big film for you, you're gonna be the co-star of it, but you have to play an Iranian terrorist. What, um, <laughs> how, how do you react to that?
1: Oh, wow, uh, good question. Um, I have, luckily i I mean, it's up to me whether I try to play a role that, and I feel like this, this was a part of my purpose and even starting out, it took a lot of years for me to fight against this, for people to take me seriously, but I'm actually determined and I feel like I'm at a place where I can decide what story I want to tell and what characters I want to play. Mm. And, and I've have become... I mean, when you're first starting out, you're uh, you're limited in a way because you're working your way up and you're trying to build your resume and get out there. And um, but I have become more selective. And, and to be honest, I'm focusing more on empowering stories and empowering female stories. And I want every project that I work on to be more of the voice of, of women who can't have a voice especially from the Middle East and that part of the world that I uh, come from. And I'm fo- focusing more on that. So if I'm supposed to play <laughs> an Iranian terrorist, I don't know, I'm going to have to think about that. <laughs> it would depend on uh, a lot of, uh, you know, the character development and, and what the backstory is. But um, my focus mainly is, is to tell inspiring, heroic Stories of females uh, around the world who are like my mom, or who um, or who are immigrants and um, refugees and, and single moms and, and and young girls with big dreams. So those are the people that I want to. Um, tell their story stories.
0: How much of yourself do you put into these roles? Whether it's becoming burlesque or in, in American Assassin, I I had read that, um, or I maybe I saw an interview with you where you said you did a lot of the stunts yourself. You know, when when he's trying to drown you in in the the bathtub and and all of that. Spoiler alert, you know. But uh, the, 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 <laughs> the there's a scene where, for example, you're you have a gun pointed at um, Navid, who's playing the the foreign minister Behrouz, and and. Yes. I was thinking about you in that moment. I mean, your your eyes and the anger and your facial expression, it it feels very real. Uh, Mm -hmm. Tell me about when you shoot a scene like that and how it feels to be holding a gun at someone who symbolically in the movie has taken your family from you and represents the Iranian state, you know?
1: Yeah, it's uh, really, it's actually really interesting that you just brought up that scene because I do give my hundred percent in every scene. And, and I always say, I mean, every time if I'm speaking on a panel about acting per se, I never, I don't even like calling it acting. I call call it being, Um, because if you're not being in that moment and if you're not giving your hundred percent, then it's not authentic. And, and the camera can see through and you just mentioned my eyes, the camera sees everything and you really have to get yourself there. Now it is, it could be very frustrating and it could be exhausting to get yourself there. But that scene actually, and because the director Michael Cuesta does have an idea of my life story, a little bit of my background and my upbringing and my immigration. And um, he did actually come up to me right before that scene. Now, Now the scene is really short when you watch it, but it was a much longer scene where I'm pointing the gun at someone who has killed my family. And, and he told me, and he's like, Shiva, if there's one, part where I do want you to go there Mm -hmm. it's now um and 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 I said okay and no problem and the same thing with the bathtub too and yes I did I want to say 90 percent uh there was only one move they didn't let me do but (laughs) I did most of my stunts and uh, I really took myself there and yes it can be exhausting to really emotionally get to those layers you know and I have a lot of layers (laughs) So um but but yeah, um I definitely give my hundred and ten percent every time.
0: It's great to talk to you, Shiva. Thanks for doing this. Stay safe. Thank you. We look forward to seeing yes, thank you. the new films and uh and to, to watching you speak Farsi on, on camera too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Thank nice
0: you talking so much. Bye bye. Bye bye. Shiva Negar, Iranian Canadian actress and model. She joined us from Los Angeles, California today. You are listening to a special themed. Episode of Rook. We're doing this all month, these themed episodes. This one's called The Screen Gems. Uh, stay tuned for the next one coming up, which is what? What's the next one? It's The Influencers. Ah, the oh, The Influencers. That's right. Our yeah. next episode is The Influencers yes. uh, Kusha Alakband, yes. Bahar Islami, right. and Picasso Moin. That's, That's right. a big episode. Yes. So uh, very interesting, folks. We'll bring that to you uh, in just a few days. That's the next uh, themed episode of Rook. This one, The Screen Gems. Uh, remember, for all things Rook, you can go to our website, rookmedia.com, uh, where you can become a patron of our show. And all of our episodes and our guests and our um, our video clips and the Rook funnies and the Rook moments, all of those can be found at rookmedia.com. Ponta the artist makes it her mission to... Uh, Uh, make that website interesting. She's done a great job. So check out RookMedia.com. Also, if you want to comment on anything on this program, do so on uh, any of our platforms, or you can email us at info at RookMedia.com, info at RookMedia.com. Well, our next guest is someone who's come a long way from the taboos of her home country of Iran. But even now, controversies as an Iranian Muslim woman can follow her all the way to India, where she resides and is a massive star. Mondonna Kadimi is an actress and model based in Mumbai. She was born and raised near Tehran in a conservative Muslim family. In her late teens, she left her career as a flight attendant in Iran to pursue professional modeling in Malay. Asia after working on various international modeling projects for top designers, she ended up in Mumbai to pursue a modeling and acting career there. Since then, Mandana has been cast in numerous feature films and Indian TV commercials with renowned people such as Shah Khan, Saif Ali Khan, and Karina Kapoor and Arjun Kapoor. She has appeared in major movies such as Roy, Bag Johnny, Kyakul Hain Hum 3, and also a TV series called Ishkbaz. She was also the first confirmed contestant on the reality TV show Big Boss 9, where she was one of the finalists of the season. In addition, Mondana is a humanitarian who has worked extensively with underprivileged children in India. She's an impressive mixture of talent, celebrity, ambition, and fortitude, and this is her first interview ever in English aimed at the Iranian diaspora. Mandana Karimi joins me from Mumbai, India. Hello, Mandana.
2: Hi. Such a such a great introduction. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much for doing this, and thanks for saying that. You're this huge star now across Asia, as I intimated in the introduction. Uh, it's hard yeah. to not see you as this glamorous, well-off star. But you come from a pretty modest background in Iran. Can you describe your childhood in Iran? <laughs> um,
2: you know, sometimes you know story as a story and you watch a movie and you know you see that person from where they come from and what they achieve and it's just two different people you know you always you always think where this person has come from why like was she like this from the beginning that's exactly me because I come from uh, I wasn't born in Tehran Uh, I was born in Save is a very small city uh, near, like, uh, how many hours from Tehran? Like, two hours, I think. Um, it's a very small city. I come from a very um, basic, small family. I've come absolutely from a father who had a normal job to kind of just survive in his life and taking care of his family. I come from a place where there is no value to art. There is no um, value to movies. You, you can't actually watch any films. It's, it's more like an illegal thing, you know. Hmm. It's um, And especially my family, because I wasn't introduced to movies or I wasn't introduced to TV or cartoons or uh, English or none of that. A very basic house barely survive or barely managing to just survive and i used to go to a public school where in saweb uh, obviously we used to cover and you know wear hijab and uh yeah so that that was my basically my childhood yeah. So that's right, that's yeah, cool.
0: you're not exactly, uh, uh, you know, I forget the name of uh, Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith's kid. You know, who's just expected to be a, a star, following in their footsteps. Yeah. That that was obviously not the prescribed goal for you. But when you would lie in bed yeah. in this modest town in 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 Iran as a kid, was this even conceivable yeah. in your head that you're going to become this star, that you're you're going to become this <laughs> international model and actress?
2: No, you know what was in my mind. I tell you a funny story. I used to fight with my family, but okay. So from outside, I used to be this really shy, uh, skinny, big glasses, wearing a big glasses, and not. I wasn't even able to stand up for myself as a kid. I was a really good student. I couldn't even like take any credit for myself in my school while I was doing everyone's homework but I had one thought uh, from my childhood where I used to dream myself outside of this family, outside of this city, uh, not seeing anyone around me. Like I didn't want to have my family, my dad, my mom, my brothers. And I used to keep telling myself that one day I'm going to leave you all. I'm going to reach somewhere. I didn't know where that wow. is. You know, I didn't have any idea, but I used to tell them i used to tell my mother that one day i'm gonna show you i'm gonna prove that i'm not part of this family you have adopted me <laughs> uh you guys are so weird and you know i don't know how do you think and i used to be a troubled child you know i used to have all this weird thing saying to my mother that just tell me the truth like have you stolen me from a rich family um or have i like, I was from some other city that you have brought me here. What
0: would, what would, how would they respond to that?
2: They, they used to just like be really angry at me all the time. And sometimes I used to get beaten up because I was just talking too much. Too much of rubbish.
0: And they were conservative, <laughs> right? They're, they're quite religious.
2: Oh, yeah. I was eight or maybe I was nine. One of our neighbors, one of the, the daughters, she used to go to school with me. And I remember she told me that uh, there was a boy in our neighborhood. Apparently she, she touched him or they talk or something. I don't remember exactly. But I came home and I told my mom, like, oh, my God, like, she, she has a go- boyfriend, you know, something like that. And you won't believe I was not allowed to go to my school. I wasn't allowed to talk to that girl anymore because for them was like, that's, that's wrong. You know, you're gonna get married, and that's it. There is no boys. There is no talking about boys, and that—that's how my family was. And uh, they were very conservative. And um, as as we call them, they were chadori. You know,
0: how would you even have the idea that that's not normal? I mean, how would how did you where did the rebelliousness come in you? I
2: uh, to to be honest, now when I'm every year when I'm getting older, and you know, I keep thinking about it, and I'm trying to put sense to it. Um, I think my grandmother, my mom's mother, because she was the only woman in entire family. Uh, she used to be a nurse. And uh, because she was working in hospital and she had few colleagues who, uh, they were in Iranian, you know, they were from India or they were from other countries. They, they were staying in Tehran. So she used to come home and she used to talk about these people and, you know, where they come from and. I used to be really fascinated by my grandmother because she was the only one on those years. She she went to Makkah and Suriye and all those places, right? So she used to travel. And when she used to come back, she used to come back with all these stories about plane, and she did this, she ate that. And I think probably my grandmother has been my biggest influencer, I can say, when I was a kid because... When I think about my mother and the way she is, she she doesn't know anything more than that, that, that life where her entire generations, they have lived it from mm. getting married, uh, struggling with life, being okay with whatever they have. Even if she's getting beaten up by her husband, that's how it is. That's how love is. Or that's how you keep your marriage. Or let's say, uh, you know, about the whole drama with, I don't know, with the cousins, with the family, you know, you have everyone else into your business and all that, you know, all that whole culture. That's what works for her. But from when I was a kid, I used to tell my mother why you're tolerating this. Like why you're not giving my father divorce? Why are you not leaving him? When he's just such a you know, horrible person to you. And um, yeah, I think my grandmother has been my big my biggest inspiration because uh, at the age of 15, when I used to start talking about leaving my house and, you know, moving out of apartment, she used to tell me, be your own boss, make your own money, hmm. make sure that you're going to study, make sure make sure you're not going to listen to your mother and get married when you're 17 or 18. She used to tell me all that, you know, hmm. she used to be like, uh, follow, follow your dreams, follow your heart, do whatever you feel like is right, don't listen to other people. And unfortunately, I lost my grandmother when just two years before I left Iran.
0: The story goes, you were a flight attendant in Iran and then you left when you were were only 17. So apparently you were quite a young flight attendant. And then you you become this professional model in malaysia now the yeah. persian girl you just described the the awkward uh, with big glasses uh, academically oriented um, quiet persian girl yeah. uh, uh, there's a disconnect i mean i you can correct me if i'm wrong but it seems there's, there's a certain amount of self-confidence that you need to be a, a model especially at the top level of it um when did you oh. realize that i guess you're attractive or that you can be this international model that that's a possibility for you
2: Okay. So this question has a couple of angles into the answer. First of all, I never thought that I'm going to become a model. And also there is a misinformation on social media and on my bio online. I never became a flight attendant. Oh. In Iran, there are courses. So basically when you finish your diploma or before you finish it, you can take those courses. If you finish your course, you get a degree from them. And after that, they start training you on an actual plane. And if you would like to, you can become a flight attendant. So I fill up my form. I finish my course. But what was behind my mind is finding a way to run away from my family and to run away from Iran. I didn't want to stay there. And <laughs> for, to be honest, for me, that was my master plan to kind of find a job where I'm going to travel a lot. Right, so that was my master plan to kind of, you know, running away. Which mm. after I finished my course, I was like, uh, I don't think this is what I like. I don't, I don't think that I want to be a flight attendant. Mm-hmm. And so what happened is that at the same time, I met few girls. They used to live in uh, Malaysia, so I met them in Iran at the party, and uh, they, they were telling me, you know, you look beautiful. You should become a model and we live in Malaysia and we study there and when we have free time we do some modeling and I'm like uh yeah but I don't know how to do it so I met a friend of theirs who was a photographer who looked at me and he laughed and he said listen I'm just going to take some pictures of you because your friends are asking but yeah okay fine I mean, you look nothing like a model, but if you (laughs) want to take pictures, sure.
0: That's encouraging. Yeah.
2: I tell you something. I am a big believer of karma. If you make fun of someone and if that someone has a true faith to themselves and to what they want to achieve in life, they will definitely achieve it. And it doesn't matter how many people they come and laugh at them. I still have that picture of my first photo shoot. I look weird looking Persian girl with no eyebrows (laughs) and I've done a horrible pose and no wonder this photographer told me that I don't look like a model because I wasn't my friend but the thing is I got an email and I got a message on my Instagram this is I think almost a year ago from some photographer who my team told me that there is a message by someone in Farsi but it's been repeatedly sending to your DM, so they said, Do you want to check it out? So I opened the message, and guess who was the person? Is the photographer who has messaged me and saying, Me, he's so proud of me, he knew that I'm gonna achieve whatever I want, and one day I'm gonna be the biggest model, which was not really true, but yeah, so wow, that's how I became a model, yeah. <laughs>
0: I just have to take a couple of steps back because you talked about needing to escape, needing to leave Iran. And, you know, this is not something that's going to be extraordinary to a lot of people in the diaspora because they've had that experience. For others of us, you know, I was born in England. I grew up there. I grew up in Canada. It never really occurred to me that I want to escape from Canada, you know? So that seems like a, that seems scary, to, to leave the country you've grown up in, to leave your family, to leave all of the things that you've known and just go, uh, were you scared or was it somehow natural for you to do that?
2: Well, what you're saying is really right, because let's say if I have a child tomorrow and I'm going to be staying in India for the rest of my life, and I would never want that for my child to have The feeling of running away from his or her house, that's such a terrible, terrible feeling. Yes, I was lucky that God knows how I survived. I I don't know it. To be honest, if you ask me how did I survive, what was it in my mind that I thought I can leave the country with $700 in my pocket and by not even talking, speaking the language, I... I didn't even know English when I left Iran. I think what it was for me, definitely, I got introduced to a lot from age of 11 to 16. So we shifted to Tehran when I was 10. Suddenly, I was introduced to a bigger life, you know, a bigger city. Most of my friends from my high school, they used to have fancy cars and fancy houses. And some of them, you know, their parents, they were doctors or they they had family members who they lived abroad and... Um, you know, and I introduced to Mahware and TV and all that, right? So suddenly I felt like, okay, this, all this looks amazing. They seem, they have a happy life and everything looks so normal and everyone is so happy. So I want to have that. I want that. It doesn't matter what the price is going to be. I don't care. Hmm. I want to get it and I want, I want to achieve those. And I think the drive that I had, the, What's they call it the, the the crave that I had for achieving things? probably in the beginning, it started from uh, I don't know being able to buy things or have a fancy car or a house or whatever. In the beginning it start from that drive and you know later on in life, obviously I have evolved in my life and my my desire has changed. but I think in the beginning for me it was simply to not wanting to stay in a country like that and and also it's it comes from a family that i belong to you know i i didn't i didn't really have a happy childhood you know my my childhood has been really difficult and you know from broken home and from uh, not having enough money or not being able to buy things that you want from all that i think all that kind of forced me to to leave the country and obviously later on when i was a teenager i was arrested twice for no reason for going to party and you know, that also didn't really uh, work for me. In even Tehran? as a teenager, I used to question. Yeah, in Tehran, I've been arrested twice. Hmm. So for me, even as a teenager, that, that didn't agree with me. With with my mind, I used to think, like, what have I done wrong? You know, why do I have to be in a place that having a good time with your friends and watching, I don't know, a movies on a CD where there's a naked picture or a an actress who's not even naked, who's just wearing a dress why should be that a problem or why should i be miserable and sad and being in a jail because of things which are normal in other countries so i think um, that kind of made me to to, to want to skate, you know yeah
0: so let me ask you yeah. something around the the question yeah. of identity and and it's really hard to mm-hmm. Embark on the journey of this show, talking to people, uh, personalities, and exploring stories of the Iranian diaspora all around the world, without coming without hitting up against this wall in a a lot of cases of paradox, of contradiction, where somebody will talk about their love of our common culture and our background and our um, and our people and our family values and all of that, and then also tell this harrowing story as you have of of wanting to escape this country and and not being able to work there and um you know being quite bitter about elements of it how do you come to terms with that paradox and and where is the where is your identity for you i mean you've lived in different places now no one would would blame you if you wanted to say i'm indian and this is where i'm going to be and this is what i'm doing i mean you it's that country's been good to you Um, Um, do you still feel you're an iranian where do you fit in all of that
2: I had my struggle, you know, um, I had it for many years. I didn't know where I belong anymore because, you know, I left Iran. I started living in Asia. So I was in Malaysia for some time. Then I was in Singapore. I was in Hong Kong. I never felt like I belonged to any of these places until, um, when I got my first project in India, which is 2009, I came here for a few days and i love the people on set and i felt like they are quite similar to iranian culture so i left india and uh, again i had an offer for india and and this time i came for a longer time for six months it was great you know i made such amazing friends and the work was good i i was loving the people it felt like home i i think what home means to me is when you, I might not be from India but I feel this place has given me so much mm. so so much that I, I don't I don't feel the burden I don't feel that I'm missing home as which is Iran the last time when I went to Iran I was missing home Mumbai you know mm. that place was familiar for me Iran is familiar I know the language I know the people and all that right but I don't feel burden anymore because I don't know is it because of i'm grow I'm growing older you know because when you are younger, you don't know where you belong and I was lucky enough that I found India and I found a job which i'm le li- I, I I live for my job and you know people kind of accepted me here and and obviously it's really tough it's really tough to start from zero it's really tough because I don't speak their language, and I don't. I'm not from here. A lot of people think that I'm Indian, but I'm not.
0: It's been such a pleasure getting to spend some time with you to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing this.
2: It, it feels so good to talk to someone who really understands, you know, where you come from. It's it's amazing.
0: Stay safe out there, and we you hope too. to see you uh, see you soon. Thank you so much. Bye bye.
2: Yes, thank you so much. Bye bye. Bye.
0: Mandana academy she's an actress she's a model she's a bollywood star uh she joined us from mumbai india today This is a special themed episode of Rook, the Screen Gems. Uh, we're doing this all month before we start uh, September with uh, uh, a new September to remember, Shia, with oh, a bunch yes. of new episodes of Rook. Uh, we're doing our themed programs until then with some really fantastic guests. We've had Shiva Nagar in Los Angeles, caddy Academy. In uh, Mumbai, let's get to our third guest today, an Iranian-American actress with an outstanding career on stage and screen, Nekar Zadegon, was actually born in Heidelberg, Germany and raised in Northern California. She studied theater and dance on a performance scholarship at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and graduated in English literature. She has also studied at the Sorbonne in Paris. Neckar made her Broadway debut with the role of the leper in the Pulitzer Prize and Tony Award-nominated Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo, opposite Robin Williams. She has worked at some of the world's most prestigious theaters, and she toured internationally in the Persian language production of Satellite with Love. Her film credits include Unthinkable alongside Samuel L. Jackson, Judd Apatow's You Don't Mess with the Zohan, and the independent film Elena Undone. Nekar's television credits include Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, The Good Doctor, 24, Emily Owens, M.D., Masters of Sex, Here and Now, alongside Tim Robbins and Holly Hunter, and she has most recently been starring as special agent Hannah Curie on NCIS New Orleans. She is prolific and impressive, and Nekar Zadegan joins me from Santa Fe. Hello. Hi. You
3: said that. Very well. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> Thank
0: you. Thank you for approving of the way I said that. I appreciate. It. What a pleasure it is to have you on this program. Thanks for doing this.
3: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. With
0: you, know, you. I guess that you just finished shooting your final scenes and final episodes for NCIS New Orleans. I always think the life of an actor, even a successful one like yourself, is such a hustle. You know, like, unless you're an icon that can just pick any role you want, you're, you're always hustling for the next gig. And and I've got to think that having a regular role in a big series a franchise, NCIS, must be, it must have been kind of a safety net. Is it hard from that standpoint, strictly as a careerist, uh, you know, to see this end? No,
3: no, <laughs> not for me. Um, but there is, it is all those things that you mentioned. Um, you just never know, you know? And um, I think when you jump into something and it's a big deal to leave your life. I, I have friends who, I have some friends who have kids that uh, won't take a job that's not in LA or New York or something because the kids right. are in, you know, school right. and, right. you know, what have you. Some people move their families around and stuff like that. I'm not in that position. And the idea of going someplace else. To take a job is exciting to me depending on where it is i mean you know people take jobs for different reasons and sometimes the location might you know play factor in that stuff um so so it is a big deal to do that so the idea of it closing um also kind of gives you your life back and maybe gives you another opportunity after a while not just in this business but in your life you recognize that every opportunity or chance or event, whether it's a closed door or an open door, is actually good, you know?
0: And also that everything ends. Nothing lasts forever. Uh, and so yeah. uh, a change can be a, a good thing. When I was thinking about this interview, I was thinking it's really hard to, to know where to start with you. You, well, I called you prolific in the introduction. That really applies to you. There's so much Thank that you. you've done that I would want to talk to you about. I would talk to you. I would just do an interview about your character, Dalia Hassan on 24 because I was a, an was addict fine. of I that series. Mm. But but let me start with, or let me start with, uh, you know, a few minutes into the interview. Um your background you you were born in germany why did your parents move to america
3: Uh, my folks already lived in the u.s um my mother grew up here in california northern california And uh, then my father um, came to Los Angeles to pursue his education, his, you know, higher education with the intention of going back to Iran. I think at any time you are educated in a foreign country, it's exciting for the country of your origin, you know, to come back to. I think, you know, over the years, there's been discussions in my family about, you know, what it would have been like, had things been different, had they stayed in Europe, had they decided to go back to Iran Mm -hmm. at the time. I mean, it's interesting, I think, I don't really think about it a lot, but from time to time, I think that this was absolutely not supposed to be my life, um, but it is.
0: You really are diverse in terms of the roles you've played and, and um, um, g- quite deliciously so like it's like I look at your resume and go wow this is such a already I mean you're young but this this body of work is so interesting and in the diversity of it do you think your international um, upbringing and identification in these different languages and these different places have fed you as as an artist as an actor in terms of um, facilitating all that diversity of roles
3: I'm sure but it's also what I wanted it's also the way that I saw myself. It's also the way that I knew how to compete. So those were helpful in kind of creating the career path that I wanted, and also what it you know was doled out to me. You, I think, become um, a product of your opportunities more than anything else.
0: It, was it clear that you were destined to be on stage and screen?
3: I was very liberal artsy even as a child, you know, and I was always um, very unafraid of um being in kind of in the center of attention or anything like i was you know i didn't have stage fright right or anything like that um and i i just i found it very interesting
0: you do do your due diligence you get the degree in literature but it impresses me how young you got started i mean we've had people um on the show actually uh, you know actors and actresses on the show who to, especially with a persian background talk about how they had to do all this university and then they had to kind of, there's this like decade long process of, of negotiating with the parents to, you know, I want to go and <laughs> do pilot season and what, I mean, you know, but when you got to start at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, you, you must've been a teenager, right? Still. Yeah, I was. I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Now I have to ask you about that because I have some experience with the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I played there many times. I and know. It is just especially in the 1990s you were there in the late 90s i think and it yeah. was it was this magical for folks you don't know there's the edinburgh festival which is an official theater festival but then the fringe festival was this thing i mean it is this thing but you know i i, I don't know what it's quite where it's at right now but it it was this magical thing in the late 90s of a diversity of artists, thousands of performances of all different kinds happening in this beautiful town in, in Edinburgh, in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And so tell me about that time for you and, and what you learned from getting your start there.
3: Oh, it was so cool. What a wonderful experience. I know, you know, just yourself having been there too, it's just so cool. There's so many people, so many artists from so many different places. And it was just, and remember, you know, you're doing a few, like, We were doing two plays in tandem. But people are there doing like six or seven shows in tandem. It's just so cool. And you're staying, it's like a student life. You know, it's very academic. And it's just a celebration of art. And people are wild. And nights are late. And it's kind of mature, but also childlike and you know, in Edinburgh, which is very like fairies and leprechauns, and you know what I mean? And Loch Ness Monster. And um,
0: what were you doing? The, what were you playing in?
3: So I was doing two shows in tandem. One was Beauty and the Beast, and one was Petty Banius which is like this folkloric Beauty and the
0: Beast. So all of this is kind of a setup because just a few years later, you make your Broadway debut. And I mean, it's quite spectacular. You, you make your Broadway debut with Robin Williams. Um, what t- Tell me what that meant to you.
3: Somehow, you know, it just happened. It was really wonderful to gain Robin because the role had been written for him. And what was really cool was, yes, it was Robin's Broadway debut. So it was a very big deal. Everybody came to see the show. You know, the, the politicians came, all the actors, everybody came, you know, and um, but what was more exciting than that was that we were so prepared for the show. We were really, our rehearsals weren't us rehearsing. Our rehearsals were Robin rehearsing and getting the flow, getting into the flow with us. And what was so cool was that Robin's process was vocal, you know, and so it was like watching this masterclass um, unfold before us. That was really our rehearsals um, was watching Robin kind of get to know the character and stuff. And uh, he was very serious and very much one of us and um he wasn't really robin until we had press day and then he like turned on and then i was like i remembered oh yeah we have robin williams in the show
0: when you say it was a master class watching him can you put into words something that what did you you learn from robin williams
3: well because his process was very vocal you know and sometimes you know you're working with an actor and they're processing it um but you're not aware of how they're processing it you know, because. They're just processing it, but his process was just very vocal. they would give him a note and be like, "Oh, okay, so, um, oh, yeah, you know, I'm the tiger. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the biggest cat in the jungle. I'm the You know." So he'd be talking it out.
0: Oh, that's what wow, you mean you know by I mean? vocal. Yeah, I see. So yeah. he was he was almost narrating how he was learning how he was taking on the role.
3: Exactly. Yes, that's exactly right. So he was narrating how He's learning it. I think anytime you witness somebody who's very good at what they do. Figuring it out in front of you, it's a masterclass. I know I love that about sports. That's why I love sports so much. And I think that watching people play at the top of their game is exciting. Watching anybody do anything at the top of their game is exciting. You know, even... I mean, the OJ trial was exciting for that reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're watching these lawyers just duke it out. And, and I so he was very... It was just him in in this role he carved. We got to see it.
0: nikar it's so interesting that you're you've been successful on stage and screen. I mean, I don't know if this is like an old school idea I have, but it I feel like it used to be that actors uh, would generally stay in their lane. You know, they'd be a stage actor or they'd be a, a film actor. There was a few crossovers, but I think of someone like Bernadette Peters, she's always been, you know, known for her stage work. And then there's somebody that you've I only ever that. seen on TV. And Uh, you've somehow done both throughout your career. Is it a different toolbox to perform in a play versus a TV show or a film? One would think it is. How different is it for you and how do you learn to navigate those two worlds?
3: Well, I'm very comfortable, um, with, with it now in both worlds, um, I don't know. I think it's different for everybody. I heard Alan Alda say once that the only thing he does different when he does a play is he talks louder. (laughs) <laughs> and i think you know maybe that's a simplification of it it kind of you know it's kind of the same thing but there are different things about theater that you don't um get to do with the camera first of all the performance is all your own the director at a certain point will weave and then it's it belongs to you and the actors and that control is desirable I think. Then with film and television, you, since you don't have that, the trust and also freedom of that, like so a lot of times, I do watch the things that I'm that I'm in, but you know, sometimes I don't. Especially if it's a series and it's been going on. Like, oh, did you watch the show last night? No, I, I didn't. <laughs> <I> watch the <laughs> three hundred other episodes, but I missed the one last night. You know what I mean? Because once it's once I'm done shooting it, it's really I'm done. My job is done, huh. and then I watch it for fun. But it's not. It's often not what i did you know exactly sometimes it is but sometimes it's not sometimes it's cooler with the music and the you know the editing it's just awesome if you're doing green screen for example you have no idea what it's going to look like you know then there's things like just the camera the camera while it can be intimidating i think sometimes for theater actors when you first start it's actually a really Um, helpful asset because um, it's like that one person in the audience that's always there and you can just play to them the entire time so it's Mm. very intimate a raise of an eyebrow can be meaningless in theater but it's very effective on camera Um, so I do tend to want to play bigger and when you say bigger or smaller I think that can be confusing for a young actor that's not certain what those things mean because it doesn't mean so much bigger so much louder overplaying it at all it um just means that your your house is bigger and you know instead of the raise of an eyebrow maybe you get a whole turn of the right, head right, you know right. and and using your body and everything right. these are things you don't get to do uh, all the time
0: when you talk about control and, and this this um back to the versatility that you have um I wonder about, I I look at these different roles you're playing and I wonder about the elements of your own character and personality in the characters you play. Like for example, your Iranian background, does that, does that fuel, does that go into how you prepare for a gig or identify with your characters?
3: It depends. It depends. If I feel like I want to give it to the character, if I feel like it's, you know, makes sense for the character, but not all the time. Different characters. I think every project I come at it, differently sometimes more similarly than others i think i have a process that i can be very comfortable with but um you know it doesn't it's not always necessary sometimes acting is easy you know sometimes this, the stretch is greater but sometimes it's not so far
0: so you, you you played a popular character named Dr. Gina Bandari in the uh, mm-hmm. CW medical drama, Emily Owens, uh, MD. She's a proven and uh, innovative surgeon. And the story goes that she was given a new last name after the pilot. Did you play a role in choosing the, the character's last name? Is that something you would do to suggest? <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, it might be, but I didn't suggest it at the time. The showrunners actually um, asked me if it was okay if they if they um, molded the character um, more to my identity and I thought it was a great idea because in our conversations it wasn't something that was going to kind of predicate the character it was just to involve um, my background in it um, in a matter of representation and I um, enjoyed that from a political perspective and I thought it was a great idea and they chose the name and uh to me it was funny to them it wasn't funny but bandetti is funny to me because it's a dance (laughs) (laughs) so i say the name gina bandetti with a wink but you know but no they were I, i i appreciated that they wanted to do that i thought it was really cool
0: I was an addict of the show 24 and this is where I would have first seen you. Um, you, you had this major role actually when you played Dahlia Hassan on, on 24, it, I think it was at the peak of 24. It was when 24 was ba- basically the biggest show in the world. Um, yeah. How did you land that role and what did that mean to your career? Um,
3: it was, um, a very big show. It was a very big international show. And, um, I, landed that rule. I've been doing television here and there. I was doing a a theatrical project at the time, but I was also, anytime I was back in Los Angeles, I was, you know, um, trying to get my footing in television. And um, that rule came to me at a time when I, my agent called, and he said, you know, I don't think that this is right for you. Uh, I don't, I don't think they'll necessarily want you for this because I was 27 years old at the time. And the role was a, a woman, a very, you know, kind of much world, much more worldly than I. Mm-hmm. Um, woman, you know, with a 20 year old daughter and uh, the first lady of this country and, and stuff. And so he said, I got you this audition, you read for it. But just, you know, so you can make an impression on these producers because it's a big deal project and maybe they'll bring you something else. So I really had the freedom of not really expecting to book the role when I went to read for it. I tried my best to, you know look right and appropriate i didn't obviously age myself or anything like that but what i always recommend yeah when i speak to young actors because we talk about this you know how should i look for the audition and i never ever personally i mean these things are all personal but i never try to go in as a character oh really (laughs) or caricature yeah you know like i I would never go in for to to read for a doctor in scrubs or something (laughs) because to me the character is deeper (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean i just try to not be the opposite of it (laughs) you know um so yeah i went in trying to look you know trying to be the sophisticated person that i was trying to execute you know and they really i just did it you know the old-fashioned way i went and i auditioned and uh, they really liked me for it and um they brought me back and the matter of maturity didn't come into play until they had cast um the girl who played my daughter and then we figured out that we were going to um have to build the characters so the age seemed further apart because we were about the same age at the
0: time right, right, right.
3: yeah and so we did and I was very happy to do it because I'm a character actor mm. I play a lot of leads but I'm actually a character actor and so creating this character of this woman who was accented and much older than I with a completely different you know life and and what it meant for my career was that um I was it was kind of the First opportunity that I'd had at, at that time to really have some have a role that was recognized by, you know, other people who work professionally in the, in the industry, other producers, other casting people and stuff like that. So,
0: yeah, um, I mean, it was important. It was a hit show. Uh, you, you're you very power. Your, your character is very powerful in, in, in this mm-hmm. um, and empowered and it's very memorable. I mean, I, I, you know, I, as soon as somebody, you say, Dahlia Hassan, I remember, you know, there's a lot of characters on 24, but I remember your character. And so the, the sort of, um, maybe the, the, juvenile way of, of, of thinking of this would be that the, the day you know a, after that series you know the phone's ringing off the hook and you can get any gig you want with, with <laughs> but I mean uh, th- was it sort of like that at all
3: in a way I almost thought I was being punished for doing a good job like everybody after that thought I was this much older woman accented woman and so a lot of those right, kinds right. of roles were coming my way right 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 and you don't I didn't want to make a career of this character right. my interest was um to play a variety of characters and also you know I, I wasn't right for those characters i remember going to an audition and um you know who was there for, first of all the audition was uh, for this woman of this age and i got there and i was like this 27 28 year old girl and everybody there was you know 60 or pushing 60 all these actresses i shouldn't have really been at that audition I'm and, and you know after a certain night now I wouldn't go to something that was so wrong for me. I mean, I, I wouldn't even entertain something like that. But at the time I really wanted to make an impression and I want to, you know, I was taking chances and trying to get seen and trying to get noticed. You know, I didn't know anybody in the business and I, I had to figure out my own way and find a way to get work. And it's it's hard. But well, you know, well, it's hard.
0: Well, let me ask you about it being hard, because I I look at your career. And I think, I mean, I, I think you have the best career. I think you're, I think the career you have is the best. I would choose that over the annoyance of being some, you know, uh, uh celebrity that's always in us weekly or something like that. <laughs> and, I, and, but you're, but you also have, you're always working your, your roles are great roles. Um, and I'm talking to you and it's it's almost deceptive because you you seem unflappable you seem very confident. Um, and I and I certainly think at the top of the list is your talent. I mean you are just really good at what you do. that's why you get these gigs but but you've been working regularly in good roles and I suppose I want to address just how you are a Middle Eastern woman. We so often hear that Hollywood is, tough if not impossible especially for non-white women getting roles your resume would suggest that you get anything I mean you just you've done what what you wanted to tell me about whether it's been challenging for you and how you've somehow broken that mold of of uh, difficulty that you know non-white women can have
3: yeah um I don't think I was as aware of that when i was younger i really didn't know i was just trying to figure out how to get work Hmm. that was how i competed was because that was what i thought i had going for me and it was also just what i could reach out to you know when i had first started working um as a young woman in my 20s young women in their 20s tell a certain story, especially before, you know, now they talk a lot about diversity and women in the industry. And a lot of roles have opened up, I think, with um, more women and, and people of diverse backgrounds behind the scenes and also what um, the appetite of the audience seems mm-hmm. to um, dictate, seems to be something more interesting than what you're know, or fresher, you know, than what has been in the past.
0: And the writing, um, the writing has, has changed. It's become... Yes, yeah, I mean.
3: yes. So it gives opportunities for different people. They're still figuring that out, sort of, and everybody wants to get on the right side of this thing. Nobody wants to be canceled. they are <laughs> so scared of, you know, talking about it, <laughs> you know. Right. But um, as, a, as a young woman in my 20s, those roles that are that go to young women in their 20s were the roles that were coming my way the sexy girl in the bikini. I I can't tell you how many times I auditioned in a bikini or, you know, whatever. I can't even, it's like crazy to some people when you say that, they're Mm. like, what? (laughs) You know, but this is, this is the industry, you know? And, um,
0: but that surprises me because I don't, you know, your resume doesn't have a lot of those kind of roles.
3: Yeah. Well, I didn't book them Ah. because, um, you know, you go there because they think you sell a certain thing, but at the end of the day, at that time, the person that was selling that story was someone who was white, you know, the beauty of the high school musical was a white girl, yeah. was a blonde girl, right. the beauty of, you know, and I was always there with, with, you know, those kinds of things. You're there with a, with a few actresses and then just models, you know, these are the auditions you're going to when you're in your twenties. And I didn't even realize how not white I was until mm. this industry makes you even more not white and um i didn't know that i can tell you that now but i didn't know that at the time and so i had to cultivate i had to learn luckily i was a character actress and so i could compete at that level uh
0: before i let you go you just back to this you're being this international person this uh, this identity Uh, this
3: international femme fatale what can i tell you about it
0: (laughs) i i wonder what you've heard um over the years, and and even more recently, from Middle Eastern, from Iranian people. I mean, do, you're you're interesting because uh, as opposed to someone like al Doshlu who um, by by the roles she's taken, everybody in the Iranian community kind of knows her. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some Iranians who don't even know that you're Iranian. You know, who are watching you on uh, on 24 or NCIS and don't even make the connection necessarily. What? do you Yeah,
3: I think a lot of people don't know that I'm Iranian, um, but am, <laughs> and uh, it has been just the virtue of, of my path to work on the projects that I've worked on, but um, it's not because I don't want to work on Iranian-produced uh, projects or Iranian-told stories. In fact, one of the reasons I don't work on a lot of um, Iranian irano specific projects in the States is because um, I find the the, the U.S. perspective... Of our stories and our lives as very small. Hmm. And um, it doesn't turn me on to read a project with a small perspective. Right. Um, I, we are not sitting around talking about being Iranian all day long. You know, and in these stories that, uh, with, through an American <laughs> lens, seems very, very um, right, right, right. strange to me. Um, but the but the Iranian-told stories that come out of Iran, for example, don't deal with that. They get to deal with um, their lives. Europeans do a, gr- a better job of this as well maybe it's because um their relationship to their history uh forces them to understand us and to know us um, in a different way whereas we don't have that here in the states um our history doesn't require us really to know about it. it would help you know it'd be nice for americans to have a broader understanding of world history maybe they will oh hi charlie hi oh, it's okay charlie
0: <laughs> charlie it's can okay. feel the interview coming to an end he's like okay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh listen it is uh Charlie it's okay buddy take it take it easy take it it's easy
3: It's okay Charlie It's okay buddy <laughs> It's okay. They're very sweet, I promise.
0: <laughs> oh, no, I, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. All dogs are sweet, ultimately. Um, so uh, I, I have to thank you. I mean, I really appreciate, more than anything, you're on your little epic adventure following a grueling uh, uh, end to your, to your big series, and NCIS, <laughs> uh, and I, I appreciate you making the time and and uh, there in Santa Fe to do this. It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for oh. us. Take care of yourself. You I hope to you. see thank you soon. Thank you so
3: much. All right. Take care. Talk
0: soon. Bye-bye. Nikar Zadegon, an Iranian-American actress with an outstanding career on stage and screen. She has just wrapped shooting uh, NCIS New Orleans, uh, where she stars as special agent Hannah Khoury. Nikar Zadegon joined us from Santa Fe. All right. This is full time for Rook for today. Join us for our next Rook-themed episode, The Influencers, with Kusha, uh, Kusha, Nikarshi, Kusha Alakban, Picasso Moeen, and Bahar Eslami. That's on Thursday. In the meantime, our website is the place for all things Rook-related, rookmedia.com. It's where you can also become a patron of the show, thanks to the amazing team who put Rook together each week. Super Pai Saw, Ponta the artist, Producer Susan, Thoughtful Nagin, the fabulous Keon, Savvy Roham Aray Merdod, Sponsorship Sean, Captain Reva, Captain Reza and Grivishia. Thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you've not done so already. Find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi and Mizunblushi.